Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes, and sitting next to me is Scott. Hello, everybody. We are really excited to introduce you to our special guest, Karen Eddington. We know Karen through the National Speakers Association. She is a 15-year identity researcher with a background in clean stand-up comedy, and she is the author of Understanding Self-Worth. Her speaking focus is based on her original research, The Under Pressure Project. You can watch her TEDx talk, The Connecting Power of Shared Laughter, on www.karenedington.com. Karen speaks across the country. She has done over 50 TV interviews, but her greatest talent is getting a family of five into the car. <laughs> so with that, <laughs> welcome, Karen. Thank you. I'm happy to join you guys today. I love you. I love your podcast. and I'm excited to just connect with you. Well, thank you. And, and we are interviewing via Skype. We love it when we can get together in person, but that's not always feasible and possible. And so we're grateful for the technology of, of Skype. It's great. Yeah, so that's your clean comedy of getting the family into the car, huh? <laughs> Sometimes it's not very clean. That's right. Um, what are the age ranges of your children? 13-year-old boy, 9-year-old girl, 5-year-old boy. Good kids. They're great. Wow. So you're just beginning the teenage years. Yes. We've got kind of that range right now. And we're nestled up here in Cache Valley, Utah, right across from a farm where I accidentally became a zucchini farmer this summer. (laughs) Yeah. Zucchinis do well in Utah. Boy, do they. (laughs) I want to hear about your under pressure project. What was the biggest thing you learned through that project and that study? So I basically spent eight years looking for patterns, and I learned three really important things about our pressure and something that we all have in common. But before I get to the answer, maybe let me give you just maybe a little bit of background. So I started speaking right out of college. So back in 2003, I did a capstone thesis project, um, and so I did some of my own research then. But that's what launched my speaking, and then I added a little bit of comedy in there um, just because it was one of my goals. But then came a project. So I'm going to take you to 2008. So this was like 10 years ago where I did a project in schools where I wanted to know these students' pressures. And so I ended up getting about 572 surveys from students, and I asked them the biggest pressure they face and also the biggest solution they had getting through their pressure. And going through the surveys initially was like daunting (laughs) because they were open-ended questions. And here I was trying to figure out what their biggest pressures were and what they faced and what they went through. So I pretty much just started making tally marks. One of these three things that I think is so fascinating, 
the top pressure, which surprised me, was achievement-based. Like it was based on trying to be someone, trying to get into college, trying to get good grades, trying to be recognized, trying to be good enough. And so it was all based around achievements. And then the top solution was to develop a support network. There were responses on there that said, if my family sees me, I know I can do anything. And I just was surprised at how much a support network was lifted, listed over and over. But the thing where it turns into like eight years of looking for patterns is I couldn't stop looking for patterns after I processed those surveys. So um, just in everyday life, I would watch professionals in networking meetings. I would watch people just like the young mom who's surrounded by kids all day, but she still feels pretty alone. And I noticed they all had one thing in common. So the biggest thing I learned that the most universal and dangerous experience we can have is mental isolation. So this is where we feel alone in our minds, where somehow we're diminished, flawed, or excluded. And I love exploring this concept because I think it's so important to tell people that you are not alone. It's so important to pull people out of that mental isolation, if that makes sense, because I could trace everything, every one of those things back in those surveys back to mental isolation. And as I think about you, the Macintoshes, I love you, Scott and Becky. I love what you do. And I've heard, and Becky, I hear your message of love. I just see how you've reached out to help people who've been in that place before too. Yeah. Being actively involved in the LGBTQ community, that mental isolation and that wanting to be supported by family, that plays a big role in their, their happiness and their self-confidence and their self-worth. Right. Um, I think there are times that we can be surrounded by people, yet we still feel alone. And this is actually a really universal experience. Like it happens to all of us at some point. But I also think it's so dangerous. It's a really scary place to be is when you feel that alone. And it just feels so important to help pull people out of that, to help people feel like, you know, like if you can do what I can do, that we can get through this. And I, I like looking at it from that aspect. Okay, we've never discussed this, but something that's making me think, okay, let's look at Robin Williams. Your your whole deal is on comedy and adding laughter to life and how we can pull ourselves out. And yet he felt so alone and felt so discouraged, but yet was the funniest guy that most people have ever known. Give me your thoughts on that. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on that, actually. For one, comedy is tragedy plus time. And sometimes we can't explore humor without hitting pain, if that makes sense. But here's something that's that's really jumping out. So I did my TED Talk along with um, Tammy Lane Guffey, and she's brilliant. Hers is, it's putting the pre in appreciation. But I, to her, she's a kindness advocate. And I had a conversation with her once, and she pulled something online, and she said, is there a cure for suicide? And that made me, that just, oh, it just kind of hit a nerve again, because I mean, thinking about people's pain and thinking about what it is. People gave some really great responses, too, about, like, religion and and friends and family. But to me, ultimately, it came down to that, again, is pulling people out of mental isolation, telling them they're not alone. Because I think laughter heals and strengthens us sometimes when nothing else can. And so I think we can be in that place of, like, exploring the tragedy plus time and still feel 
alone. So really, it's about developing support networks around all of that. Does that all make sense? Oh, I appreciate that because I've often wondered about Robin Williams, who was so hilarious and, and how he could be battling such an inner battle. But it does. That makes that makes good sense of what you're talking about. I appreciate you clarifying that. Yeah, and I do know that, that laughter is important and comedy is important and it can be a way to cope with it. I mean, when it's done right, sometimes humor and laughter can go in the wrong direction as well. But there are times that it can go in the right direction because to me, like laughter is that moment where like we look each other in the eye and you realize that, that you're in this together. Here, I'm going to give you an example. Okay, Improv Everywhere. I don't know if you've heard of this group, but they go in everyday places and they do like improv and they try and get people's reaction they have this one called no pants on the subway and it's the very first video they do you'll have to look it up sometime but what they did i just remember these people would walk on the subway with no pants and just gather people's reaction (laughs) the woman what's crazy is the woman that was sitting there that they were filming during this you could almost see her in place of isolation and shame initially like she's looking around like what is going on and she's looking down And it wasn't until she looked up and made eye contact with someone else that you would almost see it in her face. She went from this place of feeling alone and shame and uncomfortable to it was like hilarious. And so to me, it's so much more important to have that connection like that. Like, hey, you are not alone in this. So that's just a take on that as well. Well, that's funny. Just hearing that uh, made me laugh. You know, laughter it releases the endorphins and those feel good, happy chemicals in our brain. And, you know, it just makes you feel good. And it's, it's contagious. You can't keep yourself from laughing. I got to ask you though, how does comedy play a role in your work? Oh, there's a lot of reasons. I've always loved comedy. I've always wanted to do comedy. And when I first started speaking, I remember getting up there. And the first thing I said is, I'm going to tell you three things that are funny. And right there, I lost it because I gave away my surprise. And then um, I think I told a joke about sticking your face in the drinking fountain before you push the button. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. But I mean, it was crickets. Nobody laughed. Like, it was silent and it was quiet. And it lit a fire in me. Like, I have got to figure this out. I've got to figure out what makes people laugh. And I guess it's the researcher in me. But I spent the next six years writing like jokes and notebooks. And I would hit the pause button. Anytime I laughed on TV, I would hit pause and I would say, what, what were they doing? How can I figure that out? So after a while, I decided I was going to take it to a comedy club. And I did. I went to open mic night with my first time set, scared to death and get this. Nobody laughed. Well, actually, um, a drunk guy laughed (laughs) all the wrong times. But I got back in the car after with my husband, my my good husband, Corey. I said, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But we had a conversation. I realized that if I could get through this worst case scenario, like, so what? I survived this. Nobody laughed, but I survived. I could do anything. So I ended up branching out and started doing my own show. And granted, they've been bumpy. They still haven't been perfect, but it's the effort of trying and moving forward. 
And it's been amazing to see, especially now that the under pressure work is coming kind of all full circle. I've loved seeing how comedy tells people again, like you are not alone. And so I've learned that that's my approach. Like it's learning comedy and I'm going to give okay, here's an example. One of my favorite moments, just sitting with friends once um, my friend said she was at this high end party and she loves cheesecake. And she, she dished up this beautiful piece of cheesecake at this ritzy event. And she sat down and when she took a bite, she discovered it was brie. It was cheese, the bitter cheese. Oh, man. I know. So she's like eating her brie and she took such a big bite. She said she didn't even wash it down with a cracker because she wanted everyone to think that that's what she meant to do. Anyway, <laughs> every time I think of that and that moment we were sitting together and she was telling me about this time she experienced it, I feel so connected. And to me, that's this moment of like shared laughter. Like if you can get through that moment where you were trying to impress people with cheesecake and you ate brie, like I can do it too. Like if you can do it, I can do it. Oh, that, that's funny. But uh, I, I got to tell you, sometimes the things we think are funny just aren't funny. Uh, I told a group the other day about how Becky told me I had to quit doing my flamingo impersonations. And so I, I had to put my foot down. <laughs> See, I think that's funny, too. <laughs> nobody laughed. But nobody laughed in that group. <laughs> so, yeah, laughter is subjective. I love a good pun, but I've also learned that puns are one of the lowest forms of comedy. Sometimes audiences don't love a pun. And so you learn, what I learned to use is misdirection. As a speaker, that is the one thing that helped me get a laugh. It's when I create an experience for the audience in the shortest amount of words possible. So um, misdirection. I could go into that more if you want like a whole laughter lecture. But, <laughs> but I've learned it from failure because I've failed yeah, I've told many a pun and got many a straight blank face with crickets. So what fear you just mentioned failure. Um what's a what's another fear that you've had to overcome? And perhaps that's what your fear was. What has been what is something that you've had to overcome? Yeah, I would I would just keep going with fear because I think we all have fears. I've had to overcome the fear of failure because I failed a lot. Like I've I have failed doing speeches. I've bombed on stage. I failed when I got up all my courage to do open mic night. And there's more. Like I've, I've failed moments of motherhood, like forgot to pick up a kid at school once. I have, And then there's more tender ones. Like I've failed a business before too. And I've realized that, I kind of said it earlier, but if I can get through those moments, like if I can kind of accept the consequences of those moments, I've learned that I can do this. Like, what's the worst that can happen if I get on stage and I bomb? Can I be okay with that? Sure. <laughs> and, and I mean, there's times I've had a panic attack. Can I accept a panic attack? Sure. <laughs> but, but if you can accept those worst case scenarios, if you can accept those moments, it's so much easier to move forward, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I've learned. Yeah. Give me Go ahead. I just said it just has given me courage. Absolutely. And, you know, when we fail at something or bomb at something, it can be a great stepping stone to something great as we look back and say, okay, well, what didn't work? Okay, how can I fix this and tweak this and, and build to, to success? And it makes us appreciate our successes more if we've experienced the failure. 
And we appreciate it when we fail faster, so it doesn't take up so yeah. much time to move yeah, on. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what's been, what's been one of your favorite moments as a speaker? Okay, I have a couple of them. Um, here's one that comes to mind, though. I was in Orlando speaking at like an association conference, and I was supposed to go on the next morning at 9 a.m. And Tess, I mean, that's time, like it was my 7 a.m., and it was like a comedy show at 7 a.m., so... I was just going to stay in the hotel, but I thought, you know what, they're having an opening reception. I'm going to go down to it. And so I did. Um, it was this outdoor area in Orlando. There were like 2,000 people. They were handing out glow bracelets, and there were dancers in this open bar, and there's all this stuff going on, and hors d'oeuvres. And I just walked the perimeter of the event, and I took about five steps. I, I saw a woman kind of standing alone in the back, just kind of on the sidelines. And she wasn't wearing a glow bracelet, but I took, <laughs> I took about five steps forward and I just had that feeling in my gut, like you go back to her. And I did. And I turned around and I just started up a conversation and I didn't have those fears. Like she's going to think you're weird. <laughs> sure enough, I had a conversation with her and I just talked to her and found came out that I was speaking tomorrow and I invited her to the session. But when I left, she grabbed my arm and she just said, thank you for talking to me. I felt so alone. So I invited her and she came in um, after my session started the next morning. But it was one of those moments where when I made eye contact with her, I thought, I came here for one person. I came all the way across the country for this one woman. And the title of the whole event happened to be You Are Not Alone. But I just felt that in my gut. Like, oh, I'm here for one person. And I love that, like, there's moments like the one matters, that one person matters. It was one of those like really humbling experiences where it's like, this isn't about you. Like there's that one person out there you need to go and find. So there's one for you. Wow. So lessons learned in the speaking industry. Uh, have you had any, uh, I mean, you had that one obviously where you learned that the one matters. Have you have had any other powerful moments? Um, yeah, there's other powerful moments, but I, as I look at like lessons learned, things that I learned from this, I've learned a lot by doing. Sometimes you have to take some action on things before you fully know and understand. You just have to put some action in. But another thing I noticed um, as, as speakers or as people in life, sometimes we wait until we get recognized. We think that we're going to be saved by some big break. And for me, I've learned that life for all of us is a, more of a process. I like to think of it as like drops in a bucket. Because sometimes something really good might happen in your career, but if you, or like the short shorts video, yeah, the viral video, that's like a big drop in your bucket, but it's not like it's big break because there's always a what next. And I think sometimes um, for me, like when I first got started, I thought, oh, someone's going to recognize what's going on and they're going to just see me and this is going to happen. But I stopped and had to say, well, this is a lifelong process. Then, And since you had a viral video, have you felt that way before, Scott, with kind of with what you've done? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. And, and you feel like, oh, there, there's nothing I can do that will stop this train from moving forward. I mean, well, this is going to be wonderful. And then all of a sudden you realize that all it did was got things started. And you've got a lot of work ahead of you to do to, to keep it moving, to keep things going the direction you want to get them going. And, and everything. Keep- tweaking it into to move into a positive direction yeah to keep it positive for one and the other is just to make it something that people would want to hear about you know you've you've always got to be you know working and crafting those skills yeah see that's exactly it it's a life 
long process. <laughs> Even if something really big and cool happens, like there's, there's still things that you can learn. There's still messages people need to hear. And it's really, I love thinking of it that way because it kind of takes the pressure off of us to have something just get recognized. It takes the pressure off. And I love that I can learn by doing, like I can focus to me, the small consistent things that you do are so much more important than the like one big thing that happens. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. As I'm sitting here, Karen, I meant to mention this at the at the beginning as we were introducing you, but I will be always so grateful for the time. You were our our entertainment, the putting the fun into life and relationships at a retreat that Scott and I hosted a couple of years ago for couples. And you were one of the highlights of that retreat. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I remember it was, it was a fun event. I do remember having getting stuck in traffic that day too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I remember you had remember a tough those. time getting there and you got there and you shook that off and you just um, was in the zone. You want to know a secret? I had to go to the bathroom the whole entire time during that. <laughs> so, that's how you keep your energy up. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, that's being real and authentic. Well, dang, we are at the end of our 22 minutes. It goes so fast. And if, if, you, could, if you could use one word to describe what you would like about life or, or, or people to remember about you, what, what is that one word? Oh, that's hard. One word. Um, I think it's love. And I, I feel like I'm stealing it from Becky because that's Becky's word. <laughs> I want that to be that's everyone's so word. <laughs> Can I even explain it? I just think, I used to think life was so black and white, but it's not. It's about like love and compassion towards people. So there you go. Even though I stole Becky's word. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's a word I want to ripple out to everyone. So thank you. It's the best word Good. ever. <laughs> it thank is you, the best Karen. word. It was great visiting with you today. Thank you. And I everyone, you can, you can follow Karen on social media and find her at her website on KarenEddington.com. She's on YouTube. She's, she's everywhere. So thank you, Karen, for, for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.